I am super duper excited for today because today I get to talk to Chad. So awesome to have him here. Chad's with PagerDuty. He's going to tell you uh, his ascent to world domination, domination and all that. But the most important question I have for you, Chad, is regarding superheroes. You know, yes. as, as I talk to security folks, they all are into the superhero thing. I, I certainly am as well. And what I want to know is who's your favorite and why? So I've got a, a two-part answer there because I have to give a little bit of credit to, I think, an under undersung uh, hero. Uh, in my youth, when I was a kid, you know, I was not a huge comic book fan, but I did really like Doctor Strange at the time. You know, I thought uh, this this surgeon who lost his hands and found magic, you know, I thought that was like a really cool dichotomy. I think Benedict Cumberbatch in the MCU movies did a great job of it. Uh, but, you know, professionally and, and sort of as I got into my career, I would say that it really has to be the Hulk because, again, you've kind of got this notion of, um, you know, scientist, logical, analytical, like really smart person who as his superhero power just uses his rage to get things done. And I, I can empathize with that to some extent, because to me, there's always something that drives me nuts. There's, you know, things don't work right. Processes take too long. Uh, people don't get what you're trying to communicate. So there's, there's always this undercurrent of anger that I love to channel into getting things done. And so I use my, you know, my rage to uh, try and fuel uh, change in the companies I work for. And I actually have, I don't know if anyone else has done this. I have a prop because a previous team that I worked for actually got me the Hulk statue because they could tell I was angry but I was using that, you know, hopefully as a force for good. You are the first security super friend to bring up the Hulk. And really? it, yes, you are. And there is some serendipity here. I was, I think I was on Reddit um, on one of the Marvel channels and I did not know this about Hulk. You might have, do you know he can regenerate from one cell? I did not know that. I, I knew that was more of like a Wolverine kind of thing. You know, Hulk, I just assumed was largely immune or invulnerable, but that, that's good to know. I did not know that. Well, I didn't know that either, but I, I, they actually had the comic in there and I read it and it was Hulk talking about himself. Like, did you not know? I can regenerate from one cell. And my answer to that, of course, was I did not know that. Now, I want to make this really relevant. And I think it's really relevant because we'll get into this later as we talk about pager duty and resilience and strength of infrastructure and serving you know the world if i think about you know modern cloud native development and the need for resilience and the idea of being able to you know bring everything back up with you know just a little bit of something rather you know just a little element i think that's it's kind of uh relevant yeah. i just made that up though so we'll that's see. good though I, I never thought of it that way and yeah i i guess i'll have to check and see if that superpower is actually canon for for hulk because uh, i guess another fact i don't know if you did this you saw this in your research you know the actual like doctor behind the hulk has had a lot of like random incarnations you know there's been bruce banner david banner i think there's another third one in there somewhere so even marvel can't quite you know keep straight who who the actual doctor is but you know it's good to know that he can also regenerate that that's a, a nice fact if you find out that it's uh not true you could you can let me know and we'll we'll update we'll, our we'll correct our we'll correct the record for sure yeah, yeah. so you and for those of you who don't know, I've worked with Chad in a previous life, and he's has a skill set that spans, you know, security, risk, compliance, CIO roles, and now your current role. And I think it would be great for the audience to, you know, a lot of people listen to our career aspirants, 
and they're going to want to know, you know, what was your path to ascent, right, to world domination? So maybe you can, you know, just provide your your background and how you got to where you are. Yeah. So you know, I think my journey was probably informed kind of twofold. You know, one. I started my career actually just after college uh, in consultancy. You know, I was with Arthur Anderson doing a lot of risk and technology consulting at that time. And and I would, you know, highly advocate that as a good way to start your career because I got to see a ton of different companies from, you know, small startup at the time. It was kind of, you know, the dot-com, the initial dot-com boom up through, you know, Fortune 50, Fortune 10 kind of size companies. And you, you pretty rapidly understand that obviously there's no one size fits all for doing anything in a company. And, you know, that really, you know, was a way to jumpstart understanding and deep diving into a lot of different processes. Um, my my love and my focus was definitely on cybersecurity uh, at the time. And this was kind of before security was even a thing um, because you know, fresh out of college, getting paid to hack into nuclear power plants and banks was a ton of fun, you know, and, and I loved the aspect of, you know, really being that kind of red team pen tester and being able to point out, hey, you know, you're not as secure as you think you are. There's a lot of stuff to do, uh, and so that you know that kind of really was my first you know taste of the security world, and I loved it. But being in consulting, especially you know early on in your career, you don't always get to do just what you love, you know, because at the end of the day, you're billable, and the company's going to put you on whatever project they can apply you to. Uh, but that was good because. I got to do, you know, data center architecture, implementations, migrations. Uh, we did a lot of uh, like a, a sort of organizational consulting around like, how do you even structure some of your functions? What's your IT strategy? Uh, you know, we did a lot of risk consulting as well. And ultimately, you know, compliance, we helped with uh, obviously the, the main audit practice, but at the time you had your, um, you know, some of your first security certifications coming out and, and we were kind of part of that. And so I got to touch a lot of things in and around sort of the technology space. And that was a really great way for me to get a sense of what I liked and what I didn't like. And I've kind of brought a lot of aspects of that forward in my career. And I think that's also just kind of part of my personality. Like I, I love being hands-on, you know, getting getting my hands dirty. I learn a lot by doing. And so getting all those different experiences was you know, sort of a dream come true. And I like to bring as much of that into any role that I have, uh, you know, now and, and obviously into the future. And so I think that's kind of why you see this, you know, maybe amorphous or kind of nebulous role in a lot of companies, because I'm happy to wear whatever hat I can to help that company out. I've found that's great. And I found that folks who, you know, cut their teeth in consulting with one of the large organizations, particularly those who become CISOs or risk leaders, I actually think they have an edge on people who maybe maybe they've gone through, I include myself, I've only gone, you know, I've had six or seven different companies where in a span of a few years, you can encounter, as a young sojourner, you can encounter, A, a lot of executives, you get exposed to executives, you get exposed to, you know, you know, realities, be it audit, compliance, IT, security, across dozens and dozens and dozens of companies of various shapes and sizes. And what I've seen is it's just a training ground for uh, for future leaders. So for those of you who are listening who are at the bottom of the consulting salt mines, who looking at, you know, can't see where partner is, just know that you're setting yourself up for success. Hang in there for another week or two. Yeah, there's, there's definitely light at the end of that tunnel. So you're at... PagerDuty now, 
prior, you were at Twilio, both companies in one shape or form deal with messaging, right? Obviously one's more of an infrastructure provider. You, you guys are, are, are slightly different, but both of you are also, you know, using, you know, modern technology. Maybe one's more cloud native than the other, or maybe not, you know, it depends. What is different and what's the same between the, those two? leading technology companies? What are you, what are you seeing and what, how does that materialize in what you're having to do in your current role? Yeah, I mean, so I'll, I'll sort of couch that answer through the, the, the lens of risk, which I know we're gonna kind of talk about in more detail later, but you know, I'd say if you look at it, you know, just at the surface, you purely from a risk perspective, you, you might say like, hey, there's a lot in common with these companies. You know, like you said, they're both cloud native, both, you know, probably started blocks from each other in the city of San Francisco and are headquartered there. Uh, they touch on aspects of, you know, messaging and communications at their core. Uh, but, you know, the devil's really in the details there. And I think once you get below some of those, you know, kind of, you know, superficial or, or industry kind of commonalities, there's a lot different there, you know, very different tech stacks. Uh, different approaches to, to how you architect and, and you know, deploy in the public cloud, uh, you know, different legal and regulatory environments, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, you know they're, they're both tech companies. I think they're both great companies. But, you know, my, my role has definitely been very different in both organizations. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy with having had both of those experiences because, again, you know, sort of back to my earlier comments, I will take as many of those experiences as I can get. And, and you know, I I think you were at Twilio roughly the, the same time. And so, you know, that that growth curve of seeing companies through kind of the, the pre-IPO to IPO to post-IPO growth curve, you know, I love that because no two of those experiences are the same. And the way that companies need to approach that, even in terms of, you know, when it comes to like filing the S1 and calling out your risk to the organization, you really have to kind of put on your, your hat and think through the eyes of that company, you know, what's different here, what's unique about how we approach things. And that ultimately translates its way down to, you know, pretty, probably every process in the company. In terms of pager duty, right? And I think, again, similar to Twilio, since you and I were, were both there, um, you know, there is cloud native, and then there is cloud native right and so when you and, and so what i would argue is a company that started out as cloud and cloud native 10 years ago i mean simply meant all in on aws pretty much that's what that meant right um nowadays when someone speaks of cloud native what they really mean is all right we're you know we're ephemeral you know distributed immutable you know intangible in many cases, but typically rapid development. And what it often means as well is that, I'd say the big distinction right now in terms of cloud native is that we're moving more and more into what I'd call kind of a, a no opsy land. I hate using those tag terms, but the idea is you know, infrastructure has shifted left, right? Meaning that, you know, the idea that you're gonna have, you know, IT or DevOps or SRE, always being the choke point for whatever gets instantiated in a public cloud environment. We're seeing a lot of that shifting more and more left, meaning developers who are typically, uh, you know, they're expert at application code, Python, Node, Go, whatever, Java, maybe more journeyman or journey person level when it comes to, you know, infrastructure. How are you, I'm just curious, how are you seeing that change? Because PagerDuty has been around for a while. You can, you can be cloud native and still have to digitally transform. 
where are you guys all along those paths yourselves? Where are you are you, are you seeing that too? Where you're having to go? Oh my gosh, we we were this much cloud, but now we're having to do all these other things. And what sort of impact does that have on on you as a as a risk leader? Yeah, so you know, definitely you know, maybe provide a little you know thoughts or insight into that. And, and, and again, maybe I'll kind of compare and contrast Twilio and PagerDuty since those two experiences are, are top of mind. You know, I think. Twilio was really interesting because, you know, they, they obviously, you know, cloud native continued to try and shift left, but because their platform from a communication standpoint was so broad and you had so many different products and, and APIs that the teams were cranking out, they'd sort of made this decision and, you know, I don't know what the current state is, but at the time at least, where they invested very heavily in, you know, it's sort of the SRE platform team because they needed to, make as many sort of, you know, pathways and roads for the rest of the engineering teams building individual products to just, you know, ship their stuff and make it as easy as possible. Um, at, at PagerDuty, because, you know, we, we sort of started as, as much more of a focused sort of single product platform and are just really starting to, you know, turn into a true platform where you've got multiple products and services related, you know, we're still very much, I would say, a, a DevOps centric uh, environment where, you know, the engineering teams are very much organized, you know, at a very small granular level around individual services and, and um, sort of products that they're building. But now I think we're starting to see some of the, the, the benefits of, oh, you know, maybe if we had more of an SRE function and more of a platform team, we could actually take work away from some of these other teams. You know, we don't want to lose that, you know, shift left DevOps focus or centricity, you know, any more than we have to. But maybe shifting a, a quarter step to the right and, and providing some of that stuff sort of as a service to those other teams, maybe that would actually benefit us. And, and you know, that that's ultimately a strategic call for the engineering organization. But I, I think it's an interesting example of how as you grow in scale and you increase in complexity, there's always this, you know, sort of churn or tension between, you know, how much can we keep everything shifted left and, and let teams be as free and independent to do what they need versus, you know, if we took care of just a little bit of that for them, they could actually do some of that other stuff faster. And, and you know, that that's to me a fascinating evolution to kind of watch and see, and you know, who knows where it'll go. So I'm going to feed back to you what I just heard. So what I'm hearing is PagerDuty definitely follows a freedom and responsibility model, largely a function of your product strategy of who you are as a, as a company. Um, as you are diversifying into a variety of product lines, interestingly enough, what you're seeing is a need for a paved road, more of a paved road approach. Doesn't actually mean you're going to constrain people, but more of a paved road approach to onboard what might be a set of heterogeneous products to the market, right? That's, yeah. in, 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 that's interesting. And I can see companies also potentially going the opposite way where they can, oh, because we're going to really again, if it depends on what your platforming strategy is, but oh gosh, we're being slowed down because of the paved road. We're now going to go, I mean, I wonder if it undulates over time. You know, we're going to go more freedom responsibility, small teams, you will own as much as humanly possible. Oops, that starts to not work. We're going to come back together, paved road again. Oops, cracks emerge, we mergers and acquisitions, complexity, you know, and it's, it's interesting. Um, so the question I have for you is in light of being, you know, the risk leader for pager duty in an environment that is probably more freedom and responsibility that is looking to change, what does that meant for you 
in terms of rolling out your programs? I'm just curious because it comes up to me all the time. It's like, oh, I'll share it with you that I hear people say all the time, oh my gosh, you know, we know what development's doing. We know what DevOps is doing because we, you know, we scan, we do X, Y, Z after the fact. We're really good at knowing about everything later. We need to get over there, but we're not sure how to get over there, right? And then there are companies that like, well, no, it's not a problem. We're like, we're all, we're all up in it. You know, we're, we're there because it, you know, because it's not impacting velocity. Where, where are you guys on, you know, how, how are you addressing the freedom, responsibility, the velocity, protecting things without getting in the way, without being completely after the fact? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I guess I'll, I'll throw another superhero analogy or, or quote out there. You know, I, I think it really comes down to the with great power comes great responsibility sort of moniker that, you know, we definitely, even, even in, in today's pair Judy, where we're very DevOps centric, you know, we still have, you know, certain common standards or things that are kind of non-negotiable or, you know, even if there's no one central team that does it, it's everybody's responsibility and we hold those people accountable. And, and security, I think, is a prime example of that where, you know, we, we don't... Um, we don't necessarily, you know, mandate or have a security person on like every single team, but we have certain practices, approach, mentality, uh, you know, that we expect every team to adhere to. And we've built as much of that as possible ideally as transparently as possible into all of the pipelines that those teams might use so that we set at least, you know, a, a call it a, a high watermark or a, a basic uh, threshold that everybody, regardless of sort of what their focus is or what they're doing has to adhere to. Uh, and I think that kind of gets to, you know, maybe what the ultimate approach is that we'll take uh, from a, you know, call it balancing DevOps versus SRE platform that you know, we're definitely not, I don't think ever as a company, you know, just, I don't see it personally, you know, being sort of the, the you know, like heavy paved roads. You no, know, if you want to get to second street, you've got to go down main and take a left on third. Like, you know, I, I, our sort of approach and thought on that is really like, let's agree on where the guardrails need to be. Sometimes those guardrails have to be very explicitly called out. There'll be, you know, caution tape on them, flashing lights, et cetera. But within there, we want to give people as much leeway as possible, as long as they don't sort of, you know, hit those boundaries or repeatedly hit the same boundaries. And that that's kind of the, I guess, litmus test that we use, you know, as long as we have our, our standards or expectations in place, people aren't constantly banging into them, then, then maybe they're good and appropriate. And sometimes we have to move those in a little bit, or sometimes we move them out, but it's always that kind of balancing act because we want to make sure that those standards are there but exactly how maybe you know different teams uh, adhere to them or how it fits into their process, we, we want to be as flexible on that as possible. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so you have you know a, a rel relatively strong sense on um, stance on here's policy which defines guardrails. Within those constraints, though, you have a lot of freedom because you need to get product out. You need to be expressive and powerful. You know. We're seeing more and more a discussion of policy as code. Again, you know, another another buzzword. The idea that you can take what is a you know what might normally be in your wiki or whatever you know, where security can now start authoring a policy as code that can put some constraints in place for high speed development. Meaning, where it could either be you know alerts given on you know maybe what goes into a repo or what goes into cloud and or even blocking 
stuff from progressing. I still think it's an early, I mean, we see a lot of banter around it, but in terms of actual implementation, I don't, I think it's still relatively early. And this is just kind of skipping ahead here on the, you know, kind of marketplace questions. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or any other sorts of things that you're seeing that are emerging in, in the security or risk marketplace that you think are e either great and or perhaps needful that, that's, that you're not seeing emerge. I just put policy code as go to as one example. Yeah, you know, specifically on on called the policy as code notion or, or view on that, I I don't think I actually have seen a, a ton of really great solutions, or at least you know nothing that I'm aware of that kind of checks all the boxes and, and would be a, a sure win. You know, we're definitely huge proponents of the infrastructure as code, uh, and I will say within our security practice. You know, I think, you know, I'll, I'll give full credit what credit is due internally. I, you know, I think that team at PagerDuty is actually doing a very good job of starting to move from infrastructure as code controls to policy as code controls and are actually looking at like, how can we just call it pre-instrument or predefine a lot of our standards and control expectations so that again, developers don't need to think about it. They're applied transparently you know, ideally those boundaries are set so that people aren't, aren't banging into them and they may not even know they're there in a lot of cases. Uh, and specifically around, again, sort of the controls within our, our pipeline, how we think about and manage, you know, a lot of call it the, the, the boundary settings and sort of that hard crunchy shell on our infrastructure. More and more of that is actually, you know, sort of policy applied as code into the standards that our, that our team uh, sort of publishes for the rest of the engineering organization. So, you know, we're not, not there yet. I haven't seen a lot of dedicated bespoke tooling that that supports that. But I, you know, I definitely seeing that mindset shift and some progress. And so I'm, I do think that's a big area for you know potential windfall going forward. The more you can make that stuff standard, transparent, like easy to then you know sort of prove or illustrate in an audit because it's all logged or it's validated from a, a you know config setting. I, I think that's definitely a direction that a lot of companies, smart companies, are definitely going to pursue. You know, you mentioned the audit word. Um, you know, it's funny. You know, five years ago, I, I don't know. Mo you know, most auditors used to be truck drivers. I don't know if you knew that or not. But uh, they, <laughs> just kidding, auditors. I love you. Don't hurt me. So uh, that uh, they wouldn't have known what CI/CD is. They might have heard of GitHub, not the, but now they're. And I'm seeing this with our just even with our own customers, people we talk to is like they're talking about. I have to demonstrate that X, Y, Z is happening in, in cloud native development, blah, blah, and and where did, who's training up these auditors and <laughs> you know, the auditors are coming in with their new improved roulette wheel and spinning it and asking questions about stuff that's really hard to demonstrate. So I, yeah, I think there's some, we'll see how much reality and fruit comes from the policies code place. I do agree with you that that could be a, something that could help with audit, particularly as auditors start asking those questions. So. Related to the audit question is a topic that you and I um, really enjoy, and it won't be guitars. It will be risk. Um, risk obviously is in your title, but I also, because we've worked together, I know you. You're also a big fan of, um, you know, counting things. You know, you you like the quantitative stuff. You know, and and who doesn't? Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about you know how you're you know how you're seeing risk. I mean, I think risk can be. Uh, it can be an intangible term where one person is talking about one thing and one person's talking about a completely different thing. But how is the term risk interpreted in your current role, pager duty? 
uh, and maybe how are you thinking about risk management in the future, particularly in, loud, in light of cloud native, high velocity, product-based companies? Yeah, I mean, what I'll say about you know our, our risk management program at PagerDuty is is I, I I like the way that we've sort of you know structured it and and started it. We're still very early on in our our you know call it the maturity of our risk program, but really from day one, you know, we set that up sort of conceptually as a very broad umbrella. You know, we we truly wanted a risk management function that maybe typically only see in really large financial organizations, but you know, really a way of looking across the business to find, hey, you know, where are our blind spots? How can we improve? And you know, a lot of companies that talk about risk, it's it's very focused on say cybersecurity or privacy or legal compliance. You know, we actually are like our, our enterprise risk assessment program looks across the organization at, you know, macroeconomic, microeconomic, you know, landscape, but you know, what are our competitors doing? What's our operational health and efficiency and sort of K, you know, core um, KPIs for ops? Uh, what's our, you know, what's our overall strategy or what are the individual department strategies? What's our M&A activity potentially look like? And, and then of course you also have, yep, we got to look at cybersecurity and compliance and privacy, but we always wanted to take a very broad sort of risk-based approach. And the, the reason I like that and even just looking at, you know, call it the cybersecurity or, or compliance, more, maybe more of the traditional spaces, is that risk is really the language that boards speak. And so, you know, you, you can't, at least I wouldn't, you know, go into a board meeting and start drilling into, you know, what we're doing on, on specific NIST controls or how many vulnerabilities we had in the last month, like that, that's not what they want to hear. They want to understand that, that somebody, and ideally it's, you know, a, a fairly good chunk of your management team is thinking, you know, taking that step back and thinking broadly, yeah, I think I know what my, you know, near-term or short-term path kind of looks like, but, you know, what's on the sides or what else is out there? And if we see something that we either don't understand or don't like, well, let's dig into that and make sure that it isn't a problem, or if it is, or there's a potential concern, let's attach some specific action items to that to either continue to monitor it, to specifically respond to it, um, and so I, I, I like that very broad sense of risk that we've put in place and we'll continue to, to refine and manage that, but that really gives us a platform to think holistically about the business and talk about how all these different things tie together to ideally make us as successful and you know, bulletproof of an organization as possible. I, I go on mute so I can make sure I don't interrupt your your. your train of thought. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's fascinating that you are, you are straddling a lot more than just the technology um, risk concerns. I, I think that's completely, uh, that, that is fascinating. And what you said about boards as well. Um, yeah, I've had, I, like you, I've had the opportunity to present to a, a lot of boards. And um, yeah, they are not interested in minutiae. I actually get because of the because the book whatnot. I, oftentimes people will ask me, so how do you present the stuff from your book to the boards? And I go, well, that's easy. I don't. They're like, what? What do you mean? I said, well, you know, they don't care about Monte Carlo scenarios. And by the way, they're all probably more educated and smarter than you. And that's I found that I found that true in my at least in my case. A lot of the risk quantitative stuff is for us as leaders we might have some uncertainty about some decisions or some things that we're concerned about. And we want some sort of, you know, unambiguous, consistent way of thinking where we don't have all the data and all the answers. But you're, you're absolutely right. The boards want to know, are you 
thinking about stuff? Um, and are you thinking about stuff in a way that's that's relevant, you know, particularly relevant to what some of our peers are doing as well, and all that? It's, it just continues to be a big uh, a big topic. So, yeah, I think I think we could do a whole webinar series on how to present to boards, how to think about risk. I want to ask you some questions about pager duty. You mentioned that you're starting to expand a lot, and I was, you know, looking a little further on your uh, on your site last night. I mean, I mean, pager duty. I think everyone's familiar with your core business, but you are doing a, a litany of things, like you know, AI ops and a variety of other stuffs. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about, you know, what are some of the areas that you're going? And I think AI ops is particularly interesting because who doesn't like artificial intelligence? But maybe you can talk a little bit more about your your strategy and, and where you're going and what that might mean for you, again, as the, as the risk leader and as you guys step into these new markets. Yeah, so, you know, I think one of PagerDuty's, you know, historical strong points is that, you know, we're typically already sort of plugged in or instrumented into, you know, really all the core services in your organization, whether that's, you know, purely your customer facing platform or all of your operational systems or, or everything in between. Uh, and, and that was kind of, you know, called the genesis of our journey towards AI ops. And, you know, we as a company are probably still only the first couple steps into that journey. But, you know, our, our current foray there really starts to say, hey, you know, we're, we're seeing all these different systems, all these different services and how, how they're sort of managed and supported. How can we cut through more and more of that noise? And, you know, it's easy to get distracted when there's, you know, thousands of alerts popping. How can we start to, to simplify that and, and give organizations intelligence into what parts of their business or which of those services are maybe, you know, more problematic, problematic, they're, they're not, you know, operating the same as the rest, it's sort of the, you know, one of these things is not like the other. Uh, and, and so, you know, we've started uh, that sort of uh, AI ops journey by taking machine learning and applying it to just the, you know, operational alerts companies are seeing to start to point out ways that they can improve ways for additional potential time savings or, you know, efficiency gains. And, and that was kind of our, you know, step one. Where I think we're going there, uh, you know, is really toward, I think, a, a true AI ops future. You know, with our, our recent Rundeck acquisition, we can now start to push that AI ops, you know, envelope a little bit further and start to bring, you know, sort of human directed auto remediation to the play uh, where, you know, an issue happens, you know, or, or multiple issues happen, we can help sort of fine tune the alerting in the, in the grouping to get down to really what the core problem is. And, and now with Rundeck, honestly, you could have a, you know, series of sort of push button steps that, a, 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 you know, a responder could take on their mobile app to start to try and autocorrect some of that stuff, you know, okay, there's 20 things going on based on prior behavior. We really think this is the root issue. There may be a series of canned actions that you typically want to take. Let's expose those and, and make that a push button affair. The future, I think, is truly more to, you know, I wouldn't call it general purpose AI, but how can we start even automating some of that 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 response and the initial troubleshooting or triage? You know, could you have a virtual knock agent that knows your business and, and sort of knows what you've trained it, uh, has a certain set of parameters that might say, you know what, if a web server in this pool goes down tonight, We've got 20 others, just take it out of the pool, restart some processes or, you know, why does a human have to look at an alert about that, push a button to do it? Couldn't you start to define actions that the machine itself could take, you know, and obviously there's, there's a huge, you know, decision around comfort and how, you know, how 
risk averse or, or you know, sort of risk taking different companies are there. But I think that's really the future of, of you know, I know, you know where PagerDuty is going and I think where the industry is going. How do you keep the humans, which are the, you know, the expensive sort of thought machines you've got in your organization, how do you keep them focused on where they add the most value? You know, more and more sort of responding to routine incidents, even if it's easy for them, it may not be the most value add. So I, I think the more we can push some of that down to software in a safe and transparent way, I, I think, again, that just adds a lot of value to companies. That's great. That that makes a, a lot of a lot of sense. I, AI ops is, again, one of those terms that, you know, sounds shiny, but put in this context of your business, it makes a whole lot of sense. So we're about at time. I just have one last question. And this is for the career oriented folks who are looking to go from point A to point Z, kind of be able to get to a position like where you are. What are some parting words you might give for those folks who are looking to, you know, eventually be, a, you know, be a security or risk executive other than beware, what, what, what might you say to them? Yeah, don't do it. Um, no, I, again, I think it kind of goes back to at least my approach and my mentality when it sort of comes to, to in my own career, get as many experiences as you possibly can. You know, even if something isn't necessarily directly in your wheelhouse or may not be something you want to spend the rest of your life doing, you know, spend a day walking in their shoes and, and get a perspective of what it's like from the other side. I mean, you know, there's always going to be an element of you know, partnering, reaching across the aisle, you know, working in a matrix environment that can become complex. But the more context and understanding you can bring to your own role, I, I just think that makes it much more powerful. And, and even again, going back to my consulting days, there were projects I was on where I, I thought they were terrible. You know, I either didn't like the manager or I didn't like the, you know, the work we were doing or I, didn't like the customer, that stuff happens, but it's still a learning experience. You know, even a bad experience in, you know, call it a failure mentality, even a bad experience can still have some good outcomes. And, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, I, I love to get my hands dirty. I love to do different things. I, I learn by doing. And so I just encourage people, you know, have that growth mindset, have that sort of, you know, openness to new experiences. You're not going to like them all. That's okay. Uh, but, be open to it, you know, get your hands dirty. And, and honestly, I'll throw, you know, sort of plug out there again, like the, the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, I think is a great sort of way to frame the mentality that I try to bring to any role that I'm in. It's really about, you know, being open to growth, being open to change. You know, the person I was 10, 15 years ago, whether personally or professionally is very different than who I am today. And I never want to stop learning. I never want to stop growing. And I encourage folks out there, like I said, just you know, get your hands dirty and Keep learning. Awesome. Well, that's that's a great closure. Um, so just a reminder to everyone that indeed the Hulk can regenerate from a single cell until I'm proven wrong. <laughs> Secondarily, get as much, if you want to be a risk leader, a security leader, get as much experience, diverse experience as you can. Um, this, this is critically important. Um, if you are working in a cloud native organization, don't think that you're not going to go through digital transformation. It's going to happen to you. Um, and I'd say, watch out for pager duty. AI ops is coming, right? Absolutely. Dom dominate the world. Well, Chad, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. You're, you're awesome. Thank you. Great to be here.